Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we take a look at the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, is my man who loves not one, not two, but a few good men. It's Palmer. How are you today? I have no responsibility here whatsoever. (laughs) Uh, That is true, except for fun facts. Your responsibility is for fun facts. This is true. Indeed. Palmer, we're here to discuss the 1993 Best Picture nominees. They are as follows. Scent of a Woman, Unforgiven, Howard's End, The Crying Game, and... And, of course, A Few Good Men. Palmer, what won Yo, Best Picture? Unforgiven, Unforgiven, yes. Unforgiven yeah. won Best Picture that year. I always like this question because as it goes further and further back in time, it becomes questionable what won Best Picture, um, you know, outside of you yes. know, the time we were alive and things like that. Yes, but, like, this one, it's, like, out of all the movies you name, aside from Howard's End, they all have some sort of staying recognition. So... Yeah, actually, that's true. This year, I, I would even argue that... Uh, Howard's End because I some of these movies I have seen or knew about uh, before some of the other ones including Howard's End but that just might be um, the house I grew up in maybe not maybe not the movie itself but anyway let's start with Scent of a Woman directed by Martin Brest written by Bo Goodman based on the novel by Giovanni Arpino starring Al Pacino Chris O'Donnell and Philip Seymour Hoffman nominated for Best Picture Director and Adapted Screenplay it won Best Actor for Al Pacino and it revolves around a prep school student played by Chris O'Donnell who needs money so he agrees to quote-unquote babysit a blind man played by Al Pacino but the job is not all that he anticipated. I had never seen Scent of a Woman before. I thought it was about a blind man falling in love with a woman and not that would have been been a terrible movie but but that's what I thought the movie was about. I thought it was a a, a romance and it turns out it's a movie about life and I really enjoyed it. I also, I did know this is where hooah comes from, right? We always do that that Al Pacino hooah and that's where this um, that's where this comes from. I was, but truly, I was like delightfully surprised by this film. I was like, Chris O'Donnell, you're so good. Like, I forgot that you're so you're so funny and you're so wide-eyed. And Phyllis Hewitt Hoffman, even as a was supposed to be playing a youth, a youth in um in high school, is just is just awesome. And Pacino, Pacino, this is one of those roles where you're like, oh right, Pacino, that's right. You're an actor. You're not just a you're not just a caricature. Like you're like positively amazing. Um, and I think Scent of a Woman is one of those. This is the film that maybe tips him into. Um, this is the film that maybe tips him into a particular style after a while. The Pacino, I've got to yell stuff. I've got to do yes. it big. <laughs> I've got to do this real big. It's going to be big. It's going to be huge. Hoo-ah! You know, and that's the. Um, that's remember, the- remember, Al, you're blind. Got it. Yell the entire thing. No, no, not deaf. Too, too bad. I've already made this choice. I'm going to yell the whole thing. You, you can't, you can't stop me. Um, so anyway, uh, but I, this is a, I love cyclical, like, movies where, you know, somebody learns something from somebody else. Like, we're both learning a lesson here, but it's actually the same lesson from different angles, from different contexts. Uh, and, you know, what does it mean to be alive, and why is that important, and what holds you back, and, and all this stuff. And I, I thought, structurally, the movie was awesome. It was a little long. It's it's over two and a half hours, and for the story that it's telling, this could have been a clean two hours. Um, I think I think that it, it, it takes its time in some places um but i like you know the season you know it's set in the fall around thanksgiving so this idea of like i have nothing to be thankful for in my life set around thanksgiving there's there's a lot of good there's a lot of good meat on the bone uh in mm-hmm. of woman and i i was really blown away by how much i i loved it yeah no it is a really good movie i've seen it several times um yeah it can it can get a little long i honestly didn't realize it was um two and a half hours until you mentioned it i knew it was over two hours uh I don't think I ever really feel it. No, I, the only reason that I think I felt it is because I had to watch it in sections, just the way that my schedule was. Right. And so, like, I I was like acutely aware of the time, um, mm-hmm. but I don't know if it. There's not a, a degradation on the movie or anything like that. I do think that the title of the film is misleading, um, and I, I will hold to that. Like, he talks it like he knows by people's sense, right? You know, like, oh, you smell like if this, so a you woman. probably right, yeah, right, and so you probably look like this and this, and you know, yeah. it's about like 
life's treasures and blah, blah, blah. But it is kind of an odd title for what the movie is about. I mean, I remember the the cover of the movie from working at Blockbuster. Yeah. And it was it was literally just Al Pacino and Chris O'Donnell on the cover. So yeah, they're like was, sitting on a they're sitting was, on a park bench. No, they're something walking. like that. Oh, they're walking. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And but you know, like there, there's like, literally what, no woman on the box. There's and there are no nostrils because Al Pacino and Chris O'Donnell are kind of in shadow, if I remember correctly. <laughs> I don't see any nostrils, no no whiffs of air coming out of any noses, no nose what it what is happening? No women whatsoever. Right. Yeah. It's funny because even the movie itself is is rather women light. Chris O'Donnell goes to an all boys school and um and everybody and he Pacino tends to objectify women in the film, but but he's he's coming at it from a place of you know where like it, you could argue that it's a place of like loving life and that's like but um but sometimes he does take it too far and Chris O'Donnell right. like calls him on that um which I also which I also approved of yeah no uh, Al Pacino's great Chris O'Donnell's fine uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know, think he's not winning any awards but I think yeah. he does the wide eyed like I'm just an innocent kid from the from the Western United States you know like that's it works yeah uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Is- is really good. You know, the, his his was a role because he plays it, you know, the snooty like, my dad's rich and he'll get me out of trouble kid at the school. And I just you just keep looking at him like, my god you were so good. You were so talented no matter what age you were. Uh, and it just, it, it's always a privilege it was a privilege to watch Philip Seymour Hoffman work. Yeah. And, and I, you get that even here for the for the small amount that he's in the film. Uh, yeah. I do Bradley think Whitford shows up. He does show up. Bradley Whitford is a terrible person in this movie. But, um, <laughs> but he was great. Um, uh, I do think that the movie at the end kind of tips towards like sappy, like what, like why all of a sudden is there a tribunal for like what's happening? It just seems so. Well, like, they they said there was going to be one. Yeah, well, just beginning. because they say there's going to, I know, but like that doesn't like. I'm a teacher. I work at a school. I'm like looking at this as like disciplinary. Here, I'm like, this is not how schools work. At what? Like, yeah, like could you imagine if you're if you're in high school and you're just called in front of the auditorium? be like and now we'll decide if you're guilty or not we're just gonna force information out of you in front of your like 300 fellow students i just felt so wrong um but it provided good drama and sometimes you know like this movie you know there's a suspension of disbelief uh at certain points in this film and so um i think you kind of just roll with it you kind of get wrapped up in you kind of get wrapped up in the joy i guess for lack of a better word yeah no it's um i'm fine with the ending just because like you need like the the story needs to come full circle like throughout the entire movie o'donnell is kind of worried about getting getting not necessarily thrown out of school but getting his future ruined because he's there pretty much by the grace of god like Mm -hmm. he's there on a scholarship he is there on financial aid. He is not rich at all. So he's already like behind the eight ball with the rest of these kids. And now you have this. Um, I just the core idea of like him being so being so like consternated over like, well, should I tell the principal what I saw or not? I mean, y- you should. Yeah, well, he's trying to he's trying to hold on to his integrity. He's not even so much protecting them as so much as like it's not like he wants to fit he just wants to belong he wants to fit in and if he snitches then he they definitely, get stitches right he gets stitches not them, right and they maybe get stitches as well um but i can understand his his dilemma of like hey like i already don't fit in here right they've got that whole thing of like oh we're going skiing blah blah blah, blah and all this stuff like i can't go home to my family if i don't get money so no i i can't just go skiing and and um, and so he's already this idea of like already being an outsider, and then to willingly ostracize yourself more by turning them in—that's a—that's a real dilemma at that age, a particular. I mean, I I get the dilemma to a certain extent, and it's not going to be the only time we have to talk about kind of this dilemma. We'll see it again in a few good men, but it's a very like he's causing his own dilemma. Sure, but as most teens do. But that's the nice part about the film because Pacino is also causing his own dilemma that's kind of the whole point is that they're they are both responsible for their own pits in some ways and of course they're outside forces that like have brought them to this moment uh you know but they they're both in a spiral because of the way their minds work however similar similar
similarly. And um, and so they kind of pull themselves out of it together without ever really stating that's what they're doing. And that's what mm-hmm. I liked about the film. It like it can go. It could have gone so sappy and over the top, and it really stretched the. It really like stretched the line of um, um, hardiness or um, or like kind of a touching without uh, going into you know my gag reflex, I guess. So, right, right. Yeah. Give me some fun facts for Scent of a Woman. Why don't you? Why don't you? Al Pacino is helped by a school for the blind in his preparedness for the role. He said that he made himself appear blind by not allowing his eyes to focus on anything. Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Brendan Fraser, Cole Hauser, Randall Battenkoff, and Anthony Rapp tried out for the role of Charlie Sims that same year. All the six of the actors and Chris O'Donnell would star in School Ties with a plot that also revolved around a preparatory school. Many of those actors could have done it, I think. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, many, I mean, many personally, of I, I would have, uh, as much as I love uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, uh, I would have really liked to have seen Anthony Rapp. I yes. think like it's a really good for him. Yeah. I, I Any of them. Ben Affleck would probably be the only one where I, I feel, almost feel like you're a little too cool Um, for, you're a little too cool to be worried about these things. Um, That would be my, I yeah. guess. Yeah. But anyway, continue. During the meeting of Baird's disciplinary committee, in the background on the wall of the Great Hall can be seen the next quote, the place where people meet to seek the highest is holy ground. This quote was pronounced by Felix Adler, 1851 to 1933, a prominent religious leader and Jewish rationalist who created the idea about ethical culture. Oh, see, that's fun because the whole, this whole movie is really about ethics, you know, like the, um, about, you know, um, about snitching, the, the ethics of, of, be, of honesty versus truthfulness versus fitting in versus life versus death, you know, is that, that's good. That's very cool. Um, I thought, and again, Pacino was great. Like, you know, to, yeah. to have the, the capacity to be like, I'm just not going to let my eyes focus on anything and you'll believe me. Like, and I, like you do. It's very right. good. He's very good. Does not play it up. Um, excellent. Good, th- good three, good three facts. Thank you. Moving on. Howard's End, directed by James Ivory, written by Ruth Prower Javala, based on the novel by E.M. Forster, starring Emma Thompson, Helena Baham Carter, Anthony Hopkins, and Vanessa Redgrave, nominated for Best Picture, Supporting Actress for Redgrave, Director of Cinematography, Costume Design, and Original Score. This movie won Best Actress for Thompson, Adapted Screenplay, and Production Design. It revolves around a businessman uh, who thwarts his wife's uh, bequest of an estate to another woman. And is the Anthony Hopkins' wife passes away and she wants to give Howard's end to Emma Thompson um, because they were friends and the family is like is that what she wanted um, and it turns out it was the end <laughs> uh, I would I would contend your your the synopsis it's not really lifted. my synopsis so I, I know really the synopsis yeah. you lifted off of IMDB it's the first IMDB one. The shortest yep. one yeah uh, is incorrect because it's also a love story he, no he he gives it to her in the end right well I uh, yes but I mean like but that would spoil the synopsis <laughs> like that would like literally like you don't want to be able like, I mean it's, he, it's he not like you're sitting wife, at... he thwarts the wife's bequest oh by the way like he ends up doing it the end like oh, I guess you don't right. have to watch the movie now it's not how a synopsis which, works which a is good because no one should ever have to watch this movie <laughs> and b like it doesn't really affect them like I don't think that's the point of the movie <laughs> like I don't know what the point is of this movie because I'm not British enough but <laughs> uh, I think the, the I think the point is it's a it, the point is really like a it's really about class divides right because Emma Thompson is not in the same class as Vanessa Redgrave and Anthony Hopkins you know but she but she friendly but she's friendly to them and, and they're losing their Emma uh, Emma Thompson and Helena Bonham Carter are sisters and they're losing their house um you know so they're like oh we need a place that we need a place to live and so it's really about like love and charity and how like the, the the British class system is kind of um, stupid, um, you know. Like that's what Forrest is really writing about. Um, turn of the twentieth century. It's like nineteen ten or something like that in here. Uh, and so they they just they're just um, you're seeing kind of the fall of the older system. So you've watched out like you've watched Downton Abbey, right? Because Downton Abbey mm-hmm. is like kind of like the fall of of the the aristocratic the um, British aristocracy, right? The the English aristocracy. Like we own this giant house and we employ all these people and this is like where we make our money and we also mm-hmm. help them in their lives and blah 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 and after and you start to really see the decline of that after world war one but there is a bit of that uh that um classism that 
that kind of starts to that starts to negate itself before the war. Um, and um, you see that in Downton Abbey with Sybil and Branson, right? You know, like oh, he's just a chauffeur, but she's you know she's of the Abbey and blah blah blah. So that I think that's really what's the movie's actually about. And because we have classes, of course, in America and all that stuff, but we don't have uh, like it's not aristocracy like it was. It, it, it's it's very different. It's really just more um, you have lots of money and I don't have lots of money. It kind of comes down to that, but there are a lot less rules attached to that kind of... Um... Right, but I mean, unlike, say, in Downton Abbey, like, um, Emma Thompson and Helena Bonham Carter aren't destitute. Like, they have servants. Yes, that's right. Yeah, but they are... They are, They're, of, they are of, living in a place that they are renting. Yes, that's right. Whoever and own, whoever yeah. owns that place is selling it. So that's why... Right, but they, they are of... Le- they have... They, they still have less. It's like, I guess, the difference between having, like, a let's say modern standards you have like a live-in cleaning service maid service versus uh versus one that like one nice lady that you hire every three months you know to to come and to come and clean your kitchen um that's kind of the i i guess that's kind of the difference between between them Mm -hmm. so yeah i honestly i thought it was okay i i thought the costumes were beautiful i i loved the the homes and everything like that but it just it just wasn't and i like this stuff i i um i uh love i love turn of the century stories and all this stuff but there's something about howard's end that just wasn't clicking for it just wasn't clicking for me um but i thought emma thompson was great you know she won best actress for this and i um uh you know but i think she she's always great she 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 does a lot of emma this she does a lot of um acting uh, facial facial acting a lot of expression work without saying anything you know like when they all like um like when vanessa redgrave is gonna like bring her to howard's end like oh you must see howard's end like let me like i'll get on the train and then her family shows up and they're like oh we're going home <laughs> there's a lot like this you know they kind of like leave her on the train platform as you know she's you know everybody's walking away and you kind of see her work through everything you know because she was almost like basically getting invited to like come come join our upper echelon of society and it gets dashed by the family without them even knowing it only to then turn around and then have them welcome her in anyway um it's, it's I good mean, it's very do they well, welcome well, her in anthony hopkins sure does um, but, you know, and everybody else kind of tolerates it because he's dad. Um, so yeah, I liked it. I didn't love it. I liked it. I probably would never watch it again. But that's that's just that's just for me, right? You got some? You got anything uh, to say? Some fun facts? Some I mean, I facts? I have some fun facts. But uh, Helena Bonham Carter is really a joy in this movie, and I think is the only kind of highlight. I don't really care about Emma Thompson and the story that's going on there. There's there's a movie. Oh, there's a decent story somewhere in this mess of a movie and i would assume mess of a story because it's based off of a it's based off of a novel but it would take some it would take some digging to find it now this is the same writer that gave us a room with a view and like and and a passage to india and a passage to india so we're used to we're used to like a really slim thing that's good in a in an overarching bad way it's a meandering aristocracy as i like to dub these films that's the subgenre yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, won't you come for tea? That's the subgenre. <laughs> um, but I like I. You have to either like Forrest's stuff or not. This is probably out of the three, maybe four. Was remains no remains of the day is not Forrest. Um, but um, out of these, out of the three that are Forrest's, I probably this is probably my least favorite. Um, but it like but it's if it's for, I, although actually no, I think I like this more than a room with a view. Actually, pretty sure. I don't know. Who's to say? Give me some fun facts. I don't want to talk about this anymore fun facts this is a boring movie that's not a fun fact i that's mean just, that's, that's just that's just a fact that's just your fact one of the locations used was the baltic exchange saint mary axe london england soon after filming it was bombed by the ira wow wow yeah sir anthony hopkins was the first actor cast for the movie in an interview with the producers on the merchant ivory collection dvd director james ivory says that he passed a copy of the script to hopkins via his friend a sound editor on Silence of the Lambs, thereby bypassing all the agents all over the place. Hopkins
Hopkins read the script and told Ivory he was interested in taking the role. Which, mind you, he doesn't show up to like, you know, four hours into this movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. After playing playing Emma Thompson's sister in the movie, Helen Bonham Carter played the love interest of Thompson's husband, Sir Kenneth Branagh, in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. It is rumored that Carter was one of the main reasons for the subsequent Branagh and Thompson divorce. The next woman to play Thompson's sister on film, Kate Winslet in Sense and Sensibility, also followed that role by playing Branagh's love interest in Hamlet. Carter also played, also had previously played Ophelia in Hamlet. They also both played mother to Freddie Higgins Highmore in Finding Neverland and Willy Wonka at Chocolate Factory. Wow, what a weird like conglomeration of events. Yeah. Yeah. I did know about the Branagh, um, Carter, Thompson potential love thing like from Frankenstein, but um, what a, wow, that's so weird. How, well, you know, we, we joke, you know, but like, you know, Britain's got like 10 actors and they just kind of like shuffle. Well, know, see, I, you know. I was actually, I was actually a little bit surprised that because um, the only person I've ever known uh, Carter to date was uh, Tim, Tim Burton. Oh, sure. But that was, I mean, they were, they were together for so long. That was the relationship after Branna. I don't know if Carter and Branna were ever public together. I think it was more of an, like an affair aside thing. And that's why that movie, that's why Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is trash. That movie's awful. He was too interested in what it was happening offset. Lies. That movie is great. It's not. It's so weird. You're so weird. Yeah, I know. Let's talk about A Few Good Men, directed by Rob Reiner, written by Aaron Sorkin, based on his play, starring Tom Cruise, Demi Moore, Jack Nicholson, and Kevin Bacon. Nominated for Best Picture, Supporting Actor for Nicholson, Sound and Editing, this movie won no awards. Uh, it revolves around a military lawyer named Lieutenant Daniel Caffey, who defends Marines accused of murder. They contend they were acting under orders. I can't tell you how many times. Which is not a defense mind. Yeah, no, it is not. Um, but uh, um, I can't tell you how many times I've seen A Few Good Men, like, at this point in my life. Like, mm-hmm. I almost didn't watch it for this episode because I've seen it so many times. But then I thought, <laughs> I want to watch it. Though. Yeah. I, yeah. I watched it this morning knowing that if I ran out of time, I'm like, I could do this movie with my eyes closed. Oh, yeah. This is great. I love this movie so much. <sighs> and it doesn't really, it never really sours for me. Right. Um, I do think, spoilers for, for this movie moving forward if you haven't seen it I really do think that Jack Nicholson is guilty from the start he's got that shining thing about him like the Jack Torrance like I'm gonna murder my that's just because right it's away. Jack Nicholson maybe that's it but like I like I just don't believe like I just believe that man is up to no good right all the time he always is right but that's like are you supposed to feel that he's up to no good right from the start and so his revelation of you can't handle the truth you goddamn right I did you know is that like is that like I mean like, they give I you to, I... they give you enough info throughout the entire movie that you know what happened before Nicholson's revelation the revelation sure, they, say, they sure say code red like 50 million times the this revelation movie. isn't a twist in the movie as much as it's a dramatic moment to get him to admit he did it but we should already assume right. from the start that he's right. up to no good okay because yeah, the that's very, fine. At the very beginning, when they're talking about Santiago, uh, him, Sutherland, and T.J. Walsh, he pretty much tells Sutherland what to do. Like, he says, yep. we're not mm-hmm. transferring him. We're keeping him on the base. This is what I want you to do. They cut away before he actually tells them, you know, have him give him a code red or something. But anytime you see him after that, when he's like, oh, yeah, we were going to transfer him, you know it's a lie because you saw the conversation. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. Okay, well, then I, I take back what I said about I, not- trust yeah. him because I, I will say you know that not. as much as I love this movie when I sat there because I, I sat there and I was like I, I know I love this movie and I can gush about it six ways till Sunday but I was if, when you look at it with a critical eye there's definitely some parts that don't work yep mm-hmm. um, I, and, they're, I, the and they're mainly just from... like not necessarily plot holes but but plot things that don't typically hold up when you're when you're kind of scrutinizing it for one you know, these men are on trial for murder and their entire defense is they were told to do it. And we've seen
scene like with Manson, like this is this is essentially like the the uh the marine version of the Manson family. Mm. Like just because he told you to do this and he ended up dying doesn't necessarily get you off the hook. And it shouldn't. Sure. Even though it does in this movie for some reason. Yeah, that I I agree that the I mean he the code red was not they didn't they weren't told to murder Santiago. Right. And he wasn't he wasn't murdered. It was it was an accidental death from what they were doing. Like they weren't doing it with intent to kill him. It was it was done to kind of teach him a lesson, teach him a lesson and give him discipline. But nothing, nothing like, well, we want to make sure like he's paralyzed or like nothing was supposed to be lasting damage to him. Right. But because he had health issues that he didn't know about that maybe he didn't even know about, then it like caused complications and he died. But the point is that he still died. Right. So you get it. Right. So caused it. Right. So. So like when they're talking about like plea bargaining and Kevin Bacon's like, you know, we'll do involuntary manslaughter and they'll do, you know, two years and they'll be out in six months like that. To me, I don't necessarily know about, say, the the punishment length or that. But involuntary manslaughter is what they should be charged. Yep. And it's not. And they're, bec- you know, I wonder the way that it works in the film. Is that because of Nicholson's like because of Nicholson's outburst that? that really changes the mind of the jury because you know like the whole thing is that soldiers follow orders if you don't you die and right blah, 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 well all that stuff and so that's just because i mean we're not military so it's really hard maybe to, you're like, not say you know i know you're not this is so true. um uh so I, it's hard to in some ways it's hard to say because i'm not military but i like, sorkin's not military so how does he know you know like is uh, there... sorkin is a lawyer or he, okay. I, be, I believe he actually, I know he has some background in government and that's how he did West Wing, but I also believe he has some background in lawyering. Um, okay. But I will say from everything that I can gather, and I, I was piecing this together as you were talking, because of, because the way the trial is done. Now, a military trial is different from a regular trial. There's different rules and some things don't happen in a military trial as they do in a, in a civil court but they are they are accused of murder conduct unbecoming and conspiracy to commit murder the fact that the fact that it is kind of proven that they had no intent to kill him means that you cannot really convict them of murder and without a lesser charge like they didn't convict them with manslaughter involuntary manslaughter murder in the first degree you can't say you can't automatically drop down the charge gotcha. so he's the, they're there on murder if you don't think they were were there to commit murder which is one of the things that you need for a murder conviction then you can't find them guilty same thing with if they didn't murder if they weren't going there to murder someone you can't really charge them with conspiracy you do charge them with conduct unbecoming because that's just obvious like they were never going to get out of that no of course not but um but that's okay that that, that makes sense yeah that, that, it, it fills in the the rest yeah uh, which is why which is why i know in some cases like they will they will like strategically not try people for certain things so that way if something goes wrong they could still you know it doesn't fall under the double jeopardy rule mm-hmm. so you know, you know you said some, you said a duty or something like that early and I was just looking at these lineup of these films and like that's pretty much what all of these movies are about like all five of them in some way are about like what is your duty to something yeah. is your, your duty to, to your school or to your or family, or to um, to your platoon, to the military, uh, to um, the guy you kidnapped, um, <laughs> to um, you know, to to your friends, you know, like like that's really the through line for all these films. And I'm thinking, like, what happened in 1992 that everyone was like, "Oh, duty, we better make some movies about honor and stuff." Uh, that's what George Bush claimed he wasn't going to raise taxes, and then raise taxes. <gasps> that guy, yeah. what what a liar! How dare also he? you. What yeah. Also, you're coming off of the. Um, this was a few years prior, but you were you were coming off of um, the sale of illegal weapons by the government to uh, to the Contras in the Iran Contra. Oh, so you think that there's a lot of like um, like, like in old this school like, like in this instance like, where like because that was Reagan having um, I can't remember his name anymore, but having somebody from the military illegally sell the weapons to go around Congress. I mean, mm-hmm. that's essentially kind of what this boils down to yep. um yeah. so and knowing sorkin that kind of might have a little bit of thing because don't forget this play 
is eighty nine. Yes, that's which right. means it's only in, it's it's not made into the movie until ninety two, right. and then we're in the ninety three. Yeah, so, so so Sorkin probably has a little bit of that. I will say one of the other things I didn't like in this, and this isn't from a movie standpoint as much as a personal standpoint. You have them talking about like the military code of honor and conduct, and these are guys who are supposed to defend the country, and their military code literally lists the country as last. Like their code, yeah. their code goes know. to unit core God country. Like country is dead last. Yep. Yep. I know. And which is also funny. Like, it's funny that like, all right. So if you're, if it's a unit in core and then even God, let's say, so like, like, like what they're doing to Kathy, I'm like, so I guess like God and country don't really factor into anything. Right. Because they were, it's always to the core first. Right. And even then like, to the unit first. So they were disciplining right. him for the good of the unit, which was also for the good of the core. I don't know how. Which apparently would have been good for God. Yeah, it's and then good, for country, good for country. Like, maybe. I don't see where God takes, <laughs> I don't see where God takes takes a stance in that but yeah i'm pretty uh, sure god's not like good yeah he was a wizard. yeah <laughs> like he didn't run fast you know like, so this is like this what? is another instance where it's like that code i really like i dislike stuff that makes me try and think like well we had this code so we had to follow it no you did an objectively wrong thing i don't care what your reasoning was it's wrong like, you are wrong to do this to him. I don't care if you were given an order. You're still a human then, being uh, but, with their with your own mind. Right. And that's really what the movie is also, like you said, is about. It's like, sorry, like, you did a bad thing. Right. And if and, you're telling me that Marines are not given the ability to think on their own, especially when the order they're given is contrary to what they took an oath for, like, they took an oath to protect people, and this was not protected. Yeah. I, and then, again, also what the movie, uh, what the movie says i do like that the movie doesn't really paint marines in a bad light either you know right you know because you like have the marines who are like like there's like good marines and bad marines so they like in this movie and so like they eventually they are just people um and i i, I think you know, it like, is so some of what you just some of what you just said is yeah is like, true and that's the bad stuff but you all like but there's the whole like but there's tom cruise and to me more well, they're and, navy like, you know the oh they're navy yes they're navy oh yeah right because they're navy they're they wear their their navy whites <laughs> that's right yeah yeah yeah. I also like the two the two good jokes with the Navy. One where Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland is like, "Oh no, I like all you Navy boys. Whenever we need to go somewhere, you give us a ride." That's and then right. at the very beginning, when the guy when the DA comes in angry, he's like, "I'm going to hang your boys from a yard arm." And Tom Cruise is like, "Hey, does the Navy still hang people from yard arms?" <laughs> I also like the um, <laughs> like the we're going on a boat. Like Christ, Kathy, you're in the Navy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Like those, those are like really good Sorkin gems that yeah. that you see later on in his career. I will, I will agree with you. I don't think it paints. I don't think it paints um, army people, Marines, or anybody in the military in a broad brush under a negative light. I think it does maybe paint the um, uh, the imagery of them in a little bit of a negative light, and that sure. they're so blind to their quote unquote loyalty to each other that they would do this and you're right that is kind of the point of the movie and Dawson like Dawson who thinks he did nothing wrong finally realizes mm -hmm. that at the end right mm -hmm. yeah I do think it's weird that the, the not Dawson but the other kid that is that is um, Downey that is on trial yeah where they're like okay you'll be dishonorably discharged and he's like what does that mean I'm like you're in the military you know what that means he is not that right no I know but and, it feels like sometimes sometimes there's like when you, when you need to say things for like you need to say things for the audience this right? is so somebody in the audience kind of will but understand I mean, what that means but like i guess he was the character to take the brunt of that question but it just felt like really yeah they talk about more? it before that like he's essentially the lenny to dawson's george yeah i guess so yeah if you want to look at it in those in those terms yeah but all right give me some fun facts on, on a few good men yes yes yes. i'll take any i'll take any i'll take any of the the any of them the original play was inspired by an actual code red at guantanamo bay Lance Corporal David Cox and nine other enlisted men tied up fellow Marine and severely beat him for snitching to the Naval Command, the Naval Criminal Investigation Service. Cox was acquitted and later honor honorably discharged. In 1994, David Cox mysteriously vanished and his bullet-ridden body was found three months later. His murder remains unsolved. Whoa. Yep. Wow. That's awful. An unnamed executive gave, gave Aaron Sorkin a note. If Tom Cruise and Demi Moore aren't going to sleep with each other, why? Why is Demi Moore a woman? He responded.
responded, I said the obvious answer. Women have purpose other than to sleep with Tom Cruise. He claimed the incident was his worst experience as a screenwriter. Wow. Who's it? Who wrote a note? Who wrote that note to him? That uh, was an unnamed executive. Oh, and okay. there was definitely Harvey Weinstein. Just, that was my, that was, you know what? I believe this is before the Weinstein because this isn't Miramax and that's kind of where they, they rose to prominence. Oh, Miramax is, sorry. Yeah. Miramax is the crying game. That's, that's, I got, uh, I got mixed up. Gene Hackman turned down the role of Colonel Nathan Jessup because he was busy playing Sheriff Little Bit, Little Bill Daggett and Clint Eastwood's masterpiece, (laughs) Unforgiven. However, Hackman won the Oscar that competed with Nicholson for Best Supporting Actor at the 1993 Oscar. Oh man, actually, um, Hackman would have been amazing as Colonel Jessup. Amazing. I don't know. I would I think, love to see that. I think he would have just been Lex Luthor. I mean, that's what Gene Hackman is all the time. <laughs> Question mark. He's either he's either a funny or not funny version of Lex of, Luthor. Of that. Yeah. Of Lex Luthor. Um, that's my hot take <laughs> on Gene Hackman, who I love. He's great in everything. But he, I actually, you know what? I, the um, what's the movie we watched? Um, with the the spying and the recording in the, um, the conversation. The conversation. He was neither of those characters in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, was that that was three, right? Excellent. Let's move on to the Crying Game, written and directed by Neil Jordan, starring Stephen Rea, uh, Jay Davidson, Forrest Whitaker, Miranda Richardson. Nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for Rea, Supporting Actor for Davidson, Director and Editing. This movie one original screenplay. This is about a British soldier who is kidnapped by the IRA terrorists, and one of them soon befriends um, the British soldier and is drawn into his world. Um, and again, with the summary for the non-spoiler version of that summary, that's probably the first twenty minutes of the movie. Um, that's like the first forty minutes because this movie's over. Was it that? This long? movie's over two hours as well. Most of them, I'm, I think, all of and, them were. Uh, and this movie is good once you get past Forrest Whitaker's role in this movie, and that's not to say he's you know that. It's not to say it's bad. It's just it's setting up for stuff that doesn't I don't really think needs to be in the movie. I think there's a movie that you can write with the last two thirds of this movie and change the first third and you get a better movie because it, it fits a little bit better. I agree. Um, and that's it, it, this is actually uh, the crying game is a much beloved movie. Um, and so like we're probably going to have maybe a controversial take on the crying game in not in a bad way, but just um, um, you know, I, I had not seen, I had not seen it. I didn't know the twist, so I was just as surprised as Stephen Rea was, um, which which I thought was great. But then when that happened, I was like, "Oh, this is what this movie right. is," and that's why. I, and so, like to your point, like I was those first forty or so minutes with Forrest Whitaker, I was like, "All right, I get what it's doing, but like, where's it gonna go? Like from here yeah. because it, it moves so quickly in that moment." And then spoilers from here on out for the Crying Game: Forrest Whitaker gets run over by the very people who were there to protect it, which I thought was excellent. I like, didn't see that coming at all. I was just watching it. I'm like, oh, he's running away. He's probably going to get captured again. Boom, run over by a truck. I was like, whoa, okay. All right, this movie picked up really fast. Oh, my goodness. Um, And so I, um, and so like this idea, like, you know, like uh, Stephen Ray's character is an IRA terrorist and he's like, I got to take some time off from terrorism, boys, because my mind's a little messed up right now. Um, but don't worry. I got to take some time off of terrorism because my mind's not where it should be terrorizing yeah terrorizing you know yeah i feel terrorized i gotta take some time off. also can i say this is the second time we've, we've watched a movie about uh the ira in which people that you know the ira like their basis is they absolutely hate england they don't think england should be in charge of ireland now the the lengths that they go to 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 try and achieve that is is questionable but like the basis of the thing is really is sound however it's not questionable it's wrong well yeah i think wrong is the word you were looking for oh uh, but it seems like every time like the ira like the ira person's in trouble they're like well we got to go to england like <laughs> no that's so true like yeah like like but, you but, don't but like I, I the english you like it <laughs> you don't like you the english like, like i also find that a lot of the ira films that we watch are also like let's look at these terrorists in a domestic 
just in a in a sympathetic light, and you're like, okay, well, really? uh, what was, was it? In the name of the Father, he wasn't really a terrorist, right? He wasn't actually right. A terrorist, so, so correct. that is yeah. that is different. And this one, yeah. um, you could argue that aside from kidnapping, you never really see Stephen Rea do anything. No, it's wrong. a redemption story for him, right? He's because I mean, like, because his IRA buddies like come for him, and they're obviously not nice people, right. and continue and show that, and so his his thing is really about like I was walking down this path that I really shouldn't have been on and and I am I'm basically turning over a new leaf and finding out a lot about myself and love at the same time right that's kind of what the crying game is about mm-hmm. what what strikes me about the crying game is that like so the so the one of the the big twists so the famous twist is that the girlfriend of Forrest Whitaker um is transgender right yes and so and so like and Stephen Ray's character falls for her and doesn't so know it. they're like and doesn't know that she's transgender and so when she takes off her clothes he's like hello like that's a surprise yeah. and um and i thought it was funny i'm like that's like a that's like a you use that as like a surprise in the movie like twist we brought this character back from the dead <laughs> like you know that's kind of like it was kind of used in that fashion and i don't know if you could do that anymore like you know i thought jay davidson was wonderful like like he retired from he retired from acting i was did some background research he he was so uncomfortable with the level of fame that he yeah. got for the crying game. He's done a couple sh- that he tried to retire. He's done a couple shorts. Yeah, so he tried to retire, and then they offered him the role of Ra in Stargate, right? In '94, and he was like, "All right, I don't really want it, but I just don't want to say no." So he's like, "All right, give me a million dollars, and I'll do it." And they were like, "Okay," and he's like, Shh. "All right, well, I guess I got a million dollars." When will people learn that never works? <laughs> That does not work. Give me a million dollars. Okay. Should have gone higher. <laughs> um, so, um, so he did that and then he quietly retired from acting because yeah. he didn't like, he didn't want the fame right. associated, but he's, this might be one of your fun facts, but Jay Davidson is the first openly gay black man to be nominated for an Oscar. Um, and you know, he played, you know, and he played transgender and he played a transgender yeah. woman. Um, like that's a lot of firsts. Um, you know, it's a lot of, it's, it's good stuff that Hollywood didn't follow through with, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it, it feels all crying game almost feels like outside of the movie itself. It's not a gimmick. It feels kind of gimmicky in the movie, but the movie like play toes the line enough that it's, it's not, it's not just like a thing that happens and it's not important. Um, but I, I just don't, I, it left me uncomfortable the way that maybe Hollywood rolled with it afterwards. I will say that is, uh, so the, the beginning of this movie, I really don't like, um, and not because it's not good. I just feel it's a different movie i get that yeah, I, I get agree. that you're it's setting it up different stories. you're getting you're setting it up you're having steven rea look at this guy as a human being and not just someone who's on his occupying his land and i mean like occupying in the sense of like like china occupies tibet like, mm-hmm. like that but and it and that's what causes him to kind of question what he's doing and maybe he doesn't want this life so i get why it's there but i feel as like i feel like you can do it in different ways and still kind of move the movie along. And I really like after he leaves and he goes to London, I think from then on the movie is great. It is it is written well. It's got a nice thriller pace to it. Um, it has a little, you know, it has that little bit of a love story. I would have liked a little bit more with the IRA, like coming for him and trying to get him back in. So that's why I would have liked like the a different first 40 minutes. Um, but mm-hmm. I will say I knew about the twist going into the movie because it's, I've never seen this movie, but it's famously parodied in, Ace Ventura because you get the same twist in Ace Ventura. It is parodied in Ace Ventura. You get the same twist in Ace Ventura and they actually use the song The Crying Game in Ace Ventura which is how I knew it. But hilarious. going in knowing that if you watch this movie knowing that twist you see all the signs. Oh sure, yeah. You know, like oh, I should tell you about the, like well, oh, you should. Oh, well, there's blah, blah. that. Like, there's a there's a lot. There's of that, but that. I mean, just like the clientele in the bar. Yes, the, like that is mm-hmm. a that is a uh, that is an LGBTQ bar in London that he's going to. He doesn't realize mm-hmm. it. Everyone else That's assumes right. he knows because why would he be in there? Um, That's right. It's like that. It's like that Simpsons joke. There's something suspicious this about game. this lesbian <laughs> bar. There's, there's no fire exits. Right. Enjoy your death trap. Yeah. Ladies. So yeah. like right. so knowing the twist, you see the signs that there's something different about this person. Not 
necessarily that it might be uh, a transgender person, but definitely something about her is difference. Not the right word, but is not the normal convention of the time. If you if you know the twist ahead, of right? Time. If you know the twist ahead of time, and That's even like, after I, you, because I didn't after you know, I didn't the, know twist, the twist, and I was yeah, I didn't yeah. Know. Even after you know the twist, and they go back to the bar, then you also see it. That's right. Well, yeah, that's the kind of that's good. It's the it's the you know the opening up of your eyes to a world that mm-hmm. you that you had been you know like blind to before that you were ignorant yep. of, and so I think it, it that's played really well because it's there for you to look at, but you're not looking right. because it, it because the well maybe that's the smart part about the first forty minutes because that first forty minutes almost blinds you right it like it gives you it gives you a different movie you're looking for something different and so like so all of it's there yeah. you're just and not, even then. Like when Forrest Whitaker, like the Proline letter. When like, Forrest Whitaker shows him, yeah. Time. When Forrest Whitaker shows him the picture of her, and he's like, "Oh, she's a good-looking woman," and Forrest Whitaker's like, "She's not your type." Yes, that's, yeah, right. There's all yeah. that stuff. There's all that stuff there. But you know, like, was he? You know, like, but before you'd be like, "Oh, he's just saying that to you know because he's protective right. of her," or even though he was there know, because he so, felt for another woman. Go fix. Yeah, I, I, I do think there are. I do think that the the pacing of the movie, apart from the first forty minutes, some of it is a little mm-hmm. odd. Like it, it goes through these like swings of like um is it a thriller is it not a thriller is like and so like i kind of needed it to to move itself along at, at some particular moments but but i enjoyed it i can see why it has some kind of it has some kind of lasting mm-hmm. effect um uh on people and i just thought, I, I really thought jay davidson was excellent and I, it's almost a shame no it actually is not almost it is a shame that he um retired that you know the fame was not for him which is fine but he was so mesmerizing mm-hmm. as dill that um that it was just kind of a talent that i wish was still around absolutely yeah so give me some fun facts for this in movie. the 2020 documentary disclosure which chronicles the history of hollywood's depiction of transgender people and the impact of these stories on transgender lives and american culture both the crying game and ace ventura pet detective which parodies the twist in the crying game are singled out for particular criticism it, is it, what's the criticism uh i'm going to assume that uh um, it looks like it would look like to a to some people that Dill is kind of trapping him by not telling him ahead of time. Sure, but that's right. Yeah, I had said that that early. Right. I was like, I don't know if you can tell the story this yeah. way anymore. Um, so I mean, like, that like, it's kind of used. It's used. Somebody's sexuality is used as a twist, right? And that kind of like Ace Ventura, like that. Does, that first movie does not play. Yeah. So, like the same way that's what I would go with but at the same time like I don't know if I and I'm not transgender so I can't speak to how how you know they would feel about it to me as a person like I don't find what she is doing deceptive I don't find what she's doing to be not right like she thinks he knows who she sure. is yeah I, I agree. um so like I don't I don't honestly look at this movie and say I feel like this is a negative stereotype now again, other people may look at it that way, and that could be the reason why it's called out. Like if if public convention is how dare she do that to him, you know, it doesn't matter what I think as much as the what the what the angry mob says. So if there's an angry mob, then that that's something that needs to have been atoned for. Yeah, uh, I did. I had because uh, I did a, uh, some outside research on, on this movie after I watched it, and there's also a lot praising the film that written recently, um, and. And so I don't yeah. know. Like I, I'm actually you know. going to check out this documentary because I'm very interested in these sorts of subjects. In with so I also want to see what the like, especially if this is coming at the movie from a transgender point of view. I want to see what that point of view is because I can only see it from from my point of view. I can't, you know, unfortunately, I can't put myself in someone's shoes that I'm not in. That's right. And you're also watching it from Stephen Reyes' point of view, the film. It's and so so that is that gives it blinders and hindering for. Yeah. Um, and I will say, like after the initial shock, like he he's in love with her. Totally. You know, he goes to a lot to to still be with her at the end. And so so I do want to see like what the what the charges are against this movie and just to see if I'm like if I'm just looking at it from my point of view being like, well, I don't want to look at it this way because I want to I want it to be good. Like I want it to be right. So I'm going to definitely check out that documentary to see to see what's going on. And and like like we had said, this is the kind of the point of the show in the first like 
what are these movies like the further back you go like how do these movies still mm-hmm. play and everything like that so so it's okay it's okay yeah. to um it's okay to uh to go to question these things um do you have one more I have fun two fact? more fun oh, channel okay. four which originally backed the film felt that the film's ending made it unreleasable neil jordan wrote and filmed a totally different ending when the film was cut with the new ending in place all agreed that it didn't work and the production received the funding to film the jordan's original ending the alternative ending is included in some bonus materials dvd in this movie stephen Rea plays a member of the irish republican army in his actual life Rea was married for 20 years to dolores prince uh, dolores price a member of the ira who participated in a car bombing at london three for her part in the bombing price was given a life sentence though she actually only served seven years in prison Rea were married during that time that Rea filmed the crying game they divorced in t- 2003 and price died in 2013 in a posthumously released interview, Price admitted to also playing a role in one of the most notorious unsolved crimes of the Troubles era, the 1972 kidnapping and murder of a Belfast mother of 10 named Jean McConville, who disappears, whose disappearance remained an open mystery until her body was found in 2000. Whoa, that's crazy. That's like, Stephen, did Stephen Ray know all of these things? Like, this is the information that I need now. Um, Whoa. Maybe? Whoa. Like, I, I, to... I don't know how you would hide being in the IRA. I don't know. Like, it's not like... What are you doing with that leather jacket? Nothing? <laughs> yeah. I like, mean, I feel like the IRA is like an open secret if maybe. you're a member. I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, they're a terrorist or- they were a terrorist organization, so... Right, like, but like Al-Qaeda, like... Yeah, what I'm, sa- I, what I'm saying is know. like, yeah, I think it's one of those kinds of organizations where like you know if someone's in it. I guess. I, I don't know. I need to look into that. That's, that's so yeah. interesting. Let's talk about the last movie, though. Let's do that. Unforgiven, directed by Clint Eastwood, written by David Webb Peoples, starring Clint Eastwood, Morgan Freeman, Gene Hackman, Francis Fisher, and Richard Harris. Nominated for Best Actor for Eastwood, Original Screenplay, Cinematography, Production Design, and Sound. Movie won Best Picture, Supporting Actor, uh, and uh, dire- Supporting Actor, Director, and Editing. The Supporting Actor was for, oh, Supporting Actor was for Hackman. I didn't write yeah. it down. Yeah. Um, retired Old West gunslinger William Money uh, reluctantly takes on one last job with the help of his old partner Ned Logan and the young man named the Schofield Kid. Um, people love Unforgiven. They just think it's just the bee's knees. I've never really come across anybody that doesn't like it. And I had never seen it before this. Because I'm not a, I'm not a huge, huge fan of westerns. I have to kind of find the right one right. to to enjoy. Um, which I, I've said so many times on this show because I keep watching westerns. You know, they get nominated I, here and there. I hate westerns. This week we're reviewing a western yeah. i love it <laughs> i loved it yeah sometimes i i really dig them sometimes i don't this one falls kind of in the middle for me um i liked it um i think the story i think for the story for the most part really works there's a lot of um I, the, the like quote unquote like one last ride idea i i've always liked that in a story like we got one more mission we got one we got to bring the band back together we got to do we got to do this we got to do i like those stories and so um and i kind of like that it's like it's Clint Eastwood who had has it's kind of meta that way because Eastwood had done so many westerns and you know, it's what he was primarily known for for so long and all of this stuff and so I kind of liked that like it's one last ride for me Clint Eastwood but also me William Money let's do this um, yeah. so I like that we joked a little bit about like you're just gonna leave your children huh just gonna just gonna leave them <laughs> yeah like all right, I don't kids, have I'm any to, stake in I'm this whatsoever but I yeah. better go do this let's go and do it I mean I guess they want the money right that's really what the the drug well, his last name is. after all exactly exactly there's like a there's the the need for it you know the kind of the need to prove themselves um and you have that juxtaposition between him and the Schofield kid who's like you know all brag and like I knew this and they like mm-hmm. I've shot people this and he's like but he's like nearsighted and like he's never killed anybody and he's you know as you know as wet as they come and all this stuff and um and so I liked I liked all of that there was some other things in the film that I thought were in some ways unnecessary. Like, what was the point of Richard Harris's character? Like, why was he there? Like, what uh, was the point of that? I just was to show, some just to show, like them running, and... them running off other bounty hunters. I guess, but like that, it felt unnecessary. Like there was no none of those things bridged back together again. 
like it just kind of like oh this by the way this is a side story the only good part of it that i think worked metatextually because of westerns is like the guy that that richard harris is like running around with the guy that writes his story the biographer right and and gene hackman was like that's not how it happened it was like this and this and this and this and this and this like you're just you're doing you're saying nothing and i liked that because so many westerns are about the myth right like the myth of the old west and what it was like yeah. the outlaws and the rangers and the this and the that and i like that in this very quiet scene gene hackman's character who is not a great person um but he does make a fine roof he does he did, no he doesn't job. no no i was a joke um but um uh uh he um he kind of breaks that down like he's like this is not it's basically he's basically telling the audience this is not the western you think it is this is not how it's going to turn out and because i think we've seen a lot of other westerns rather like unforgiven um since it's time it you know like if you go back to it it's kind of not the first of its kind but Mm -hmm. it's definitely one of those like um it's definitely more boots on the ground than pie in the sky Mm -hmm. uh western and that's more in vogue now than it used to be and so um so i I liked it i didn't love it i think that everybody's i think everybody's good in it but it's just like missing some kind of there's some connective threads that just didn't over art for me the way that i wanted the way that i wanted them to but i think everybody's good in it and uh by gosh it is beautiful like it's really really well shot so um that's me that's that's what i have to say about it so again kind of like with the crying game any of the stuff inside the town i actually i love i really like i think it's done really well it's written really well it's interesting and the stuff prior to that of the apple dumpling gang riding to the town i could have just done completely without like Mm -hmm. if you take out if you take out Clint Eastwood and Morgan Freeman, the Schofield kid, out of this movie, put in a couple new characters that all kind of take place in the town, then I'd like this movie even more. And you probably also cut out 30. It's not a bad idea. Uh, so that aside, I think uh, Gene Hackman does really well. I, I'll agree there are some things in there that I don't think are necessary. Like, I don't think we really needed the aimless and, un- and never-ending the yeah, aimless uh, the unending. aimless and never-ending thing of Gene Hackman can't build a roof. No. <laughs> like whenever we see him, they're like, "We got to go find Little Bill," and he's up on the roof on his house, and it's still he's leaking. Like, hey guys, just working on my roof over here. Yeah. I well, this so all right. So let's think about this for a second. So literarily, we're talking about like what does a roof do? It, it, it provides structure and warmth and protection and all the stuff. And he's constantly building it, which means that it's not done. So and that's a, he as the sheriff is basically supposed to provide that structure and protection and he's not because he's a terrible terrible person um, is he though n- well he's not great he's just got his own he has his own br- he's he's got his own brand or idea of justice and you know it's wild west justice as opposed to but that's lawful where justice. that's what we're in though i know but that doesn't make it right that's part of the problem with the wild west in the first place is what they were is that that like they they weren't able to um they it, they were basically left to their own devices in each town and so so it was a little like sheriff of nottingham kind of like i'm gonna do what i want yeah. because like, because i can mm-hmm. and so it, there's not it's not great what he what he does he's he what he is he, he like is vividly aware of the world in which he inhabits he doesn't mm. you know as opposed to the romanticized version of of it and i think that's that's where he gene hackman works because what's so great about gene hackman in general is that he can he can, no matter how fantastical he can get he grounds you right so even as lex luther you're still like you are the greatest criminal mastermind of all time like you know you are right. because yeah. because you're just like you believe it in your feet you can feel it mm-hmm. and i um and that's that's something that's so great about him that's something that's so great about him here um so yeah i i liked it i didn't love it completely but I think it's a really strong some of its parts film mm-hmm. um, where uh, where some of the others like are missing some other are missing some other pieces. Yeah, I can I can kind of agree with.
with that. Um, but again, like you're, you're asking me to cheer. Like the hero of this movie is a killer. Like the the movie kind of the movie description is like he's a gunslinger. No, he's he's a killer. Like he is a horrible what human a being. That's what a gunslinger is. What do you think they are? No, a gunslinger can be good or bad. Like he is decidedly bad. If you're um if the if the criteria of the like the criteria is that he kills people or doesn't kill people and that makes him good or bad then he's just bad no the fact that he murdered like an entire family for no reason well yeah but this is like his redemption story right he's like i gotta go uh, he has to go make amends for it for himself for something for something how the terribleness that he was but when he, he was younger but then he just starts killing people like he falls back into his old ways and you see that because throughout the entire movie you know he doesn't he doesn't drink alcohol he doesn't do a lot of things and then like he starts killing people he starts drinking again the the convention is gene hackman does bad things sober and clint eastwood's bad things are done while he's drunk which is which is to make us put a clear distinction like gene hackman's bad because he's sober and he does these bad things um clint eastwood's fine because he only does bad things when he's drunk sure and that's part of the the wild west lawlessness thing but i mean the movie's called unforgiven it's not called like yes one and i last unforgive them for ride. making this movie yeah it's not one last hero's ride well that would be a I terrible a, title i know you have a thing <laughs> about protagonists of films that are not good people like you just dislike you you dislike um you dislike poor like a like a morally wrong protagonist yeah um so which is fine that's your preference that but that's but but should you remove your preference from your critique of a film no because it's my critique no no i don't know it is at all no i know it's your critique but you know you have to you i think you have to you have to it as much as you can you have to remove your personal preference from whether you they have done there is a good job there's a there's a difference between removing your personal preference there's a difference between removing your personal ideals from criticism and and personal preference like my personal ideals i think clint eastwood is a horrible human being but that doesn't color my question are you talking about clint eastwood or william money clint eastwood okay like i think yeah no i think clint eastwood is a horrible human being that does not affect my judgment of him in this movie what affects my judgment of him in this movie is the fact that the hero of this movie is a is a murderer Sure. I mean, that's not really the same thing, though. That's removing the art from the artist. That's a different thing than removing your than than removing your personal your taste or your preference from from critiquing or judging the art that is in front of you. Those are those are different things. But you know what? We also don't have time to continue this conversation because we have to wrap this episode up. So give me some fun facts on Unforgiven. The movie was shot in Calgary, which was experiencing unusually dry weather. Most of the most of the most of the rain? Wow, that was horrible writing. Most of the rain was created on site. The snow that was falling when million money is recovering from his beating is unexpected and unscripted. Well fun. Deputy Clyde's line about why a one-armed man need to carry three pistols. I don't want to get killed from lack of being able to shoot back. Is sometimes attributed to James Butler Wild Bill Hickok. He usually carried two pistols around his waist, another in a shoulder holster, sometimes another stuck in the back of his belt, and usually had at least one Derringer hidden somewhere. While working as a lawman, he usually carried a sawed-off shotgun as well. Hickok also laughed at Ned Buntland's report about his killing 20 men with 20 shots, saying that his theory was start shooting and keep shooting until the man you were shooting was at was dead. And finally, at the time of the Academy Awards ceremony, Frances Fisher was four months pregnant and under strict orders not to tell anyone, including her closest friends. I don't want that kind of thing talk taking t- attention away from my Oscar race, Clint Eastwood said to her. When Eastwood's name was announced as the winner of Best Director, Fisher was tried to hug him, but he quickly pulled away and walked on stage. In his acceptance speech, he thanked Fisher only in a professional context, along with many other members of the cast and crew. Fisher finally announced her pregnancy two months before giving birth, and news outlets prefaced the story with, according to, and reportedly, because Eastwood and his representative refused to comment. Francisca Eastwood's birth on August 7th, 1993, was kept secret for two weeks until her 
her birth certificate, a public document was filed. When the news that her birth finally hit papers, she was reported as her 63-year-old father's third child. She is actually one of at least eight. Four more illegitimate Eastwood offspring suddenly emerged as adults between 96 and 2018. The people who know Clint best suspect even more family in the closet. Wow. Wow. Clint Eastwood. What a person. Well, that's exciting. Um, Palmer, uh, before we talk about the 1993 Rewindies, we should um, tell people where they can find us, which of course is at Twitter um, at Academy Rewind and at Timothy PG13. You can rate and review us on iTunes and find us all the places podcasts can be found. Check out all other Thought Bubble audio shows, including but not limited to Batwoman TV Talk, The Gospel According to Lucas, Beer with Geeks, uh, Supergirl TV Talk, Hate Watch with us, Read Up, and many, many more, all at ThoughtBubbleAudio.com. And uh, you can support us on Patreon.com slash ThoughtBubbleAudio. Palmer, let's yep. talk. 1993 Rewindies. Let's do it. Okay, we're going from supporting actor all the way down to picture. We can only pick the movies that are in, uh, that were nominated for Best Picture. We can only pick people in and around those, which got really difficult for some of these categories. So let's (laughs) get going. Supporting actor, I'm giving to Jay Davidson for The Crying Game. Jack Nicholson, Hugh Goodman. Good. Supporting actress, I'm giving to Frances Fisher for Unforgiven. Uh, Supporting actress? Yeah. Helen Bonham Carter for Howard's End. Cool. Um, Production design, I'm giving to Howard's End. I will also give it to Howard's End. Costume design, I'm giving to Howard's End. A few good men. Cool. Uh, makeup and hairstyling, I'm giving to Unforgiven. Um, going to give it to The Crying Game. Okay. She was a hairstylist. Uh, yeah. mm. Um, best music I'm going to give to Scent of a Woman which had a slapping score I, like, yes. I was so surprised yes. yeah um, visual effects I'm giving to Unforgiven because it's basically the only movie besides well actually, no I take that back I'm going to give them I take that back I'm going to give it to The Crying Game for Forrest Whitaker getting run over because that still looks really good I'm going to give it to A Few Good Men for making Tom Cruise look like the same height as most people bam got him <laughs> um, he had huge eyebrows yes A Few Good Men um, cinematography I'm giving to Unforgiven Unforgiven editing I'm giving to A Few Good Men uh, yeah, a few good men. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, uh, Sorkin's movie, you have to move at a particular clip. Yeah. The editing is all part of that. Plus the credits with the, the, um, the rifle, yes. the rifle brigade. Like, oh, that's so good. It was amazing. So good. Um, best sound I'm giving to Unforgiven. Uh, Crying Game. Okay. Best actor I'm giving to Al Pacino for Hua. Al Pacino. Uh, best actress I'm giving to Emma Thompson. Francis Fisher. Francis Fisher. Okay. Best writing I'm giving to A Few Good Men. A Few Good Men. Best picture I'm giving to Unforgiven. I'm going to give it to a few good men right on a part of me like it was like yeah it's gonna go to a few good men before i watched this because i was like because that movie's great and it, it's it's it maintain i maintain it's my favorite out of out of this lineup but as i always say the best picture is the sum of its parts um and i think that there is more sum in unforgiven than in a few good men though scent of woman also has some excellent stuff but as far as like what makes it a film versus other things like it's it's just a movie um you know so it it lacks the kind it lacks the kind of level up that it needs for best picture but uh i enjoyed all of these uh we're coming up next we're doing 1983 the the list is as follows gandhi tootsie the verdict missing and et the extraterrestrial wow and that's it i know aren't you uh aren't you excited yeah, i'm something good for you that's it but that's all the time we have because they're uh, playing us off no i have some more well too bad bye, bye.